bouncy rod. Sandal Bihar. Welcome to Crawl in the Bihar Short Stories of Poetry for February 9th, 2024. I'm Terence O'Donnell, your Irish skillet. Welcome once again. Take a little time out in your busy day to listen to some more stories and poems from medium.com writers. So this week I have one of my own personal seasonal poems and three story chapters for you this week. The second chapter from the science fiction serial story we started last week. A new story with more to come in the following weeks. And Robert J. Longbray's 11th chapter from Sanctuary. So come in, sit down for a bit, listen to what I found for you. Just a reminder that I have a small advert after the readings before I close out the show. Please stick around and learn how to support my work a little bit. Thank you. So, as I said, I have a poem. This is something I wrote. It's a seasonal poem. And it's good for every year, this time of year. And it's called Imok, a seasonal poem. And it's one I wrote a year ago, but it still applies. Imok is here with the first winds of spring, whispering in the trees and over the fields, telling us that the maiden is starting to wake. The calic will shake her fist and wail as the old crone fights to stay. She will lash us with cold and storms still as she knows her time is waning once more, just to let us know that she's still very much here for just a little bit longer. On the day before, we clean the house and sweep the hearth. We decorate the doors with garlands and bows. At sunset, we prepare the Bridget's doll, and we set the milk out to welcome Bridget to our home. For on the morrow, we will dance through the door, while in the hills the Druids will light the fires, to welcome Bridget, the goddess of fire. Bridget, inspiration for poets and bards, we pray to her to bless the fields and animals, to provide us with plenty in the coming season, as we dance hand in hand through the doors to welcome Bridget into our homes. With Imok, we celebrate the coming of the Maiden and welcome the return of Father Son to warm the earth, to chase the Caliph back to her lair as we continue our cycle of the annual wheel. Next, I have Chapter 2 from Beyond the Water Wall, The Crash by Don Woodby. And he published this in the Fiction Writer's Den. So last week, Mars and Wren were on a cruise when their daughter witnessed a drug trade and got captured. Have you seen Woo Woo? Wren suddenly asked as the waiter brought the dessert. She was running around here just a minute ago. Mars swung his head left and right, peering at the surroundings. She couldn't have gone too far. He bumped his fists on the table. Let's find her. You can stay here and eat, Mom. He jumped from his chair and grabbed Ren's hand. They rushed to the restaurant. It was still too early. The place was empty. Come here, she said, pulling Mars toward a door at the back. This was open before. Mars pushed and pulled it. It was locked. Move back a bit, he said calmly. The sound of the shattering door made Ren flinch. They crept down the stairs carefully, searching their surroundings. The room was empty. Open crates lay sparsely on the floor. You can't go down there, a woman's voice called from upstairs. They ignored it. There was a door at the back of the room. They entered and crossed another empty chamber, another door. Mars knocked. Silence. He knocked again, harder. No answer. Mars moved back and prepared to charge. As he gathered the courage to act, the door opened. Behind it stood a man. He was bald and short, but robust. He wore a white sleeveless shirt and worn out blue suspenders. 
You can't come in here, the man said quietly with a light smile on his face. Have you seen my daughter down here? Mars asked, trying to peek inside. She's five years old, has dark hair, and is wearing a skirt. The man quickly moved, blocking the doorway. No one was here. Now go away, he hissed. Mars slowly pushed Ren back, grabbed the door, and gazed into the man's eyes. Do you mind if I take a look? The man pushed him back and closed the door. Stay back, baby, Mars said. He flung the door open with his shoulder. Two other men were also inside. Behind him, Mars could catch a glimpse of Woohoo, who was tied to a chair. One of the men had long hair and wielded a wooden stock. The other was slightly darker and carried a large kitchen knife. Mars touched Ren's hand discreetly. Do you have it with you? Ren nodded positively. She bit her lips and exhaled deeply. Keep your distance and be prepared. Don't hesitate. Ren slowly reached into her purse, always keeping her head up. Mars closed his fist tightly and threw a left punch right at the man's ribs, making him curl down. His chin was exposed. Mars hit it with the right uppercut, throwing him to the ground, unconscious. The other man hesitated for a moment, then charged in his direction. Mars quickly stepped back and waited for them to cross the door. Now, he shouted. He moved slightly to his left, giving Ren space to access the doorway. She took a can of pepper spray out of her purse, turned her head to the side, and closed her eyes. She pointed the can to the door, battling the anxiety, feeling all her muscles tensing up. Jolted with adrenaline, she pressed it much harder than necessary. Mars covered his nose and eyes with his right elbow and held his breath. As both men curled and coughed uncontrollably, he advanced toward one of them. He grabbed the baton from his hands and hit him in the middle of the forehead. Mars quickly stepped to the side and struck the other man's temple before he could lift the knife-wielding hand. Go get woo-woo, Mars shouted. As he watched the unconscious enemies, Ren grabbed the knife from the floor and entered the room. She cut off the duct tape that held her to the chair. Are you okay, honey? Child nodded positively. She rubbed her teary eyes and whispered, Sorry, Mama. Ren carried her in her arms. She rushed out of the chamber toward the stairs without looking back. Mars followed her, glancing back from time to time, making sure the culprits were still down. Suddenly, shouting and loud footsteps came from downstairs. Go after them, voices yelled from a distance. Get a hold of the ship. We'll have to detour. Go get the captain. Mars and Ren climbed the stairs. As he stretched his arms to open the door, he suddenly felt a cold sting on his left shoulder, followed by a shattering sound. Still trying to understand what had just happened, Mars closed the door quickly behind him and kept moving. As he ran past the restaurant, Mars glanced to the side. His mother was standing up pale with a puzzled look on her face. Go to your room, Mom. Lock the door. Don't open it, he said. She nodded and rushed out of the restaurant. The door burst behind him. Pulling Ren by her hand, Mars peeked over his bloody shoulder and saw three men advancing. One of them carried what his blurred vision judged as a long rifle. Guests and staff fled out of sight. The armed men relentlessly cut through the crowd. Mars pointed at the stairs ahead of them. We have to reach our room. They climbed as he struggled to pull pieces together in his head and fight the adrenaline fear. His mind went blank. They entered the room and Mars quickly opened the cabinets. He took a sharp kitchen knife out of a drawer and put it over the counter. Ren looked at the entrance and noticed red drops on the ground. She sat down and took a deep breath as she checked if Wu had any wounds. She then glanced at Mars. His shoulder was covered in red. Don't worry, it's just superficial, he smiled at her. We don't have time to look at this now. Ren nodded timidly and went to the balcony. There was a way to go to the bottom floor if they were able to climb down through the pipes on the walls. That could give us time to get help, she thought to herself. She looked at the sea as they approached what looked like a cave. 
Above it, the heavy clouds contrasted with the clear sunny sky around. She gawked at it as if hypnotized by that spot. Lightning and a typhoon emerged around the cave. Gradually, the ship bounced more and more. She quickly went back inside. Maybe something is very wrong outside, she said, struggling to catch her breath. I found a way out, but we'll have to climb down. She lingered for a moment. Will you be able to do it while carrying Woo-Woo? I can't. Don't worry about that, he said. What do you mean something wrong? He stood up, grabbed the knife, and headed toward the balcony. There is something like a typhoon forming there, she said, and lightning, too. It's also weird. Mar stared at it as the ship approached the cave. Loud strokes on the door made Woo-Woo jump up from the floor. Mars grabbed her with his wounded arm, saving the other one for climbing. He put the knife between his teeth and rushed back to the balcony. He tied the two parts of the door with a piece of the pillowcase, shutting the balcony door from the outside. They grabbed a fence and began to climb down. Rain poured and a cold wind ran through their bones. The intruder shattered the door as the ship headed towards the middle of the typhoon, falling into an accelerated swirl. Don't let her fall, Ren cried. Mars embraced Woo-Woo and pressed his body on the fence to regain stability. Ren held herself, squeezing the metal bars with both hands. The light rain quickly turned into a storm. The men breached the door and advanced into the room. They flipped the bed through the sheets, and it only took them some moments to realize where Mars and Ren were. The leading assailant was slim and tall. He held a rifle in his hands. The other two, shorter and more robust, were carrying smaller handguns. Their dress shirts, tucked under their pants, looked almost as impeccable as if they hadn't done any strenuous activity. As they headed toward the door, a blustering sound echoed around the room. The floor bounced violently, throwing the men in the air. In the blink of an eye, the ship entered the cave and got stranded in a cleft. Mars and Ren jumped, landing on solid ground. Ren glanced back as the three men leapt over the parapet and advanced in their direction. We gotta run! A trail of blood lay behind Mars. They sprinted until they reached a massive waterfall. It covered everything behind. There was no way forward. They were cornered. As Ren prepared to break left in the last attempt to escape, she felt Mars' hand pushing her away. Woo bounced on the floor. A muffled sound of a gunshot reached her ears as she watched Mars getting hit in the left forearm, falling into the waterfall. She pushed the shock away from her body, forcing herself to grab her kid and hide behind the rocks. Oh, now there's going to be another chapter next week. Now I've got a new story. It's called A Magician Never Reveals Her Secrets by Rachel Anderson Lee. The skeptic arrived like a raven among doves. Literally, in this case, as the doves Adelaide released fluttered down the garden path and past James' black denim jacket and the oil-slick shine of his dark hair. Her stomach sank when she saw him. Not again. It had been a good show. Over the last half hour, she'd gathered a fair crowd of unsuspecting park-goers clustered around the back of the restored Victorian Botanical Conservatory building in Wright Park. She'd warmed up with a smooth set of prestidigitation tricks, linked rings, smoking glass, endless scarf, followed by the sweet ease of magical pressure. Transmuting a teacup into a top hat, was like taking a breath of fresh air. Levitating any woman's purse felt better than basking in the sun. And the awe of a spellbound audience watching her own hand pass through three sets of handcuffs simultaneously, as great as a cool shower after a long sunny hike. And then he showed up, with his shiny new phone and shiny silver buttons and shiny white teeth. 
James Witt, the despicable debunker, although he preferred the term investigator. Adelaide resigned herself to canceling her planned finale and dug out a deck of cards, showing everyone how perfectly normal it was. Pick a card, any card, she urged a volunteer from the audience. Not that card. Just kidding. That one's fine. Look at it. Remember it. Put it safely in your pocket, because we're going to make the rest of the cards disappear. She flicked through the cards again, flashing nothing but blank white rectangles. Trick deck, James drawled. The blank cards are shorter. She ignored him, despite how the audience members' heads turned his way. A few people frowned sympathetically, but many were eager to watch the collision of her skill and his cynicism. It had been like this at the other five shows he crashed, too. For a moment, she toyed with the temptation to pack it all up and go home. Evening was lengthening the shadows, and heavy fog was settling among the trees, and the park would be closing soon anyways. Her bedazzled tailcoat wasn't quite warm enough for the chill of night, plus she put all her auburn hair up into a flouncy ponytail, leaving the tips of her ears exposed to the cold. If she quit now, she'd have time to pick up pizza, drop in on her sister, and nibblings. At least the kids could be counted on to enjoy her magic. Stars knew they needed a little wonder and delight to fill the void of her dad's death. But Adelaide's sister, Genevieve, had buried all her healing crystals and herbs when they weren't enough to stop the cancer that stole her husband from this mortal coil. Jen's residual power festered under her skin every waking moment, so she probably wouldn't appreciate Adelaide waltzing in and making teddy bears dance across the kitchen floor. It was in her sleeve, James declared, while the rest of the audience was thinking she'd pulled a card from behind someone's ear. Plus, it's not my card, the helpful volunteer added. Right, she huffed. But are you sure about that? Take it out. Let's check. If you're going to do the sticker trick, the one where you run your fingers over the card and reveal that it's actually the same as the one you sleeve while really just moving, removing the sticker, you should know that's been done before and come up with something better. Plus, it's not very environmentally friendly. Adelaide gritted her teeth behind her smile and finally turned to face him. Sir, I'd appreciate if you save your commentary till the end of the show. And I'd appreciate it if you'd stop making people think magic is real. Folks, if you want to see how Adelaide's tricks are really done, and more, check out my channel on... Deep breaths, Adelaide told herself. Don't let him get under your skin. Just take three deep breaths. And also pre-order my new book. Three. Scan the QR code at the bottom of my card. Two. Available to investigate the magicians. One. But really, I'm being rude, aren't I? Please, Adelaide, forgive me. I won't inter interrupt again. Scout's honor. He pantomimed, zipping his lips shut and flicking an invisible key over his shoulder. The patronizing smile he offered as he adjusted his phone's camera angle set Adelaide's blood on fire. Zero. How about a bet instead? Adelaide's pride outpaced her caution, even as she spoke. Yes, technically, performing true magic in front of skeptics was both dangerous and against the covenants. But it wouldn't be permanent, and no one here could tattle on her to the consortium, and some people deserve to be brought down a notch. A bet? James' smile brightened. Adelaide stuffed her trick deck back up her sleeve and strode over to the top hat to scoop out the tip she'd earned so far. If you can explain how I do this next trick... I'll give you $42. Pride glimmered in his eyes, brighter than greed. You're on. Adelaide snatched the bills back. If you can't, you have to tell all your followers that you believe magic is real and never come to any of my shows ever again. He snorted. 
There's an explanation for everything. He shut off his camera and slid his phone into his pocket. Do your worst. Adelaide's smile turned wicked. The sun's disappearance had turned the rectangular glass panes of the botanical conservatory windows into black mirrors, and she motioned for James to stand, centered, facing one. The, the black of his jacket disappeared into the dark glass, but his pale sneer was clearly visible, and the haze around them traced his silhouette. Now, watch your reflection, she commanded, and began to wave her hands. The crowd shuffled closer, breaths held, staring at the glass. Two small nubs of bone began to sprout from the reflection's head. His eyes widened momentarily as the bones pushed upward and branched outward, growing into larger and increasingly majestic antlers second by second. His fingers twitched at his side, fighting the urge to reach up and feel his own head. The crowd fell perfectly silent, spellbound. Smoke and mirrors, James said, clearing his throat. When he rolled his neck around, his reflection's antlers moved with him. Although I have to admit, this is the best work I've seen from you. But it's not enough to win the bet. See, someone inside the conservatory has a handheld projector with a video of... James, Adelaide smiled. Feel your head. Oh, the look on his face when his fingers brushed the two rough bumps newly emerged from his scalp. Good evening, folks. A woman in a Metro Parks volunteer vest called, approaching from the conservatory's entrance. The park's closing now. Sorry to break up the party. Thanks for your cooperation. As finales went, that one could have been worse. You did what? Genevieve's horror nearly woke her own pizza-stuffed kids when Adelaide confessed her latest antics. Shh, they should disappear by morning, Adelaide grumbled. You wanted to show him the magic is real, so you cursed him? And it doesn't matter what you wanted, because if you made him believe he's going to grow antlers and to force magic into his body... He's going to grow real antlers, and your magic is going to fuel it, and if it drains your vitality, you could actually die. Adelaide cringed. Stars take it, Adelaide, Jen ranted. You could have followed Mom into aura healing or tarot like Aunt Maeve. Everybody told you not to risk it. Okay, okay, Adelaide winced as the uncomfortable truth settled into her stomach. And don't even get me started on what could happen if the consortium found out. Okay, I get it. I messed up, Adelaide swallowed. Just help me figure out how to fix it. There has to be another way, she grimaced, as James Witt's yappy little terrier went nuts on the other side of the door. He answered her knock in sweats and socks, wearing a beanie under his hoodie. How'd you find me, he demanded. I don't post my home address online. Dowsing compass probably wouldn't help anything, so she shrugged. Your roommate does. He scowled. Fine. So what do you want? To give me a matching tail? Adelaide sighed and offered over a nondescript metal tin. It contained the baking soda, lotion, coconut oil concoction she and Jen had made last night. Adelaide wanted to put nastier things in, but Jen had glared her down. This is the solvent for the adhesive I used to stick to horn stickers on your head. Her voice came out in a monotone. Everything about this felt wrong. Helping an arrogant jerk like James Witt reversing her own spell revealing her magician's secrets. If the consortium wasn't an issue, and the curse wasn't actively consuming her magic and vitality, Adelaide wouldn't be caught dead here. Then again, if she couldn't convince James that it was all just a trick, she probably wouldn't end up dead one way or another. Horn stickers, James repeated. He pulled down the hood of his hoodie and yanked off the beanie. You called these horn stickers? The nubs had grown three inches in one night and now tapered to intimidating points. Whoa, 
when James Wood, the investigator, chose to believe, he really believed. Um, they're made of an expanding poly polymer resin, which um, reacts to moisture in the air. But if you just rub the solvent on, they'll come right off. He snorted and invited her inside with a jerk of his chin. His house appeared completely normal. Its stepping across the threshold felt like entering a hungry dragon's lair. Adelaide thought she glimpsed a bird in the dog bed, but when she blinked, it was just a terrier circling to get comfortable again. It was a projector, right? James said, calling her attention back to him as he stood in front of the full-length mirror in his entry goop in hand. Maybe with some sophisticated tech to track the angle of my head when I moved. Yep, Adelaide said. You guessed it. Planning to make a video about it? To her relief, the first chunk of antler fell away, leaving only remains of harmless white scoop in his hair as he went to work on the second. Of course, James snorted, and I'm keeping the resin sticker as proof. Oh, and one more thing. What? Adelaide gritted her teeth. Come here. I want you to see something in the mirror. She trudged over to stand beside him. What could be so important? The words choked off as she saw her own reflection, now featuring an adorable little cat nose and whiskers. She grabbed her face with both hands, feeling a new roughness over her nostrils, and the wiry little bristles beginning to sprout from her cheeks. James grinned at her as he leaned against the opposite wall, baking soda and lotion in his hair. You're, she squeaked from behind her hands, looking forward to heckling your future magic shows? Oh, yes. Wouldn't miss him for the world. You can give Griff a treat on your way out. When Adelaide turned back, the creature in a basket wasn't a terrier anymore. At the word treat, his eagle head reared off his miniature lion's paws in excitement before he fluttered over to claw at the glass jar full of bone-shaped biscuits. Adelaide seed as she dropped her hands away from her growing whiskers to help the little creature get its snack. As she stormed out, James called, And you still owe me $42. My last story is Chapter 11 from Robert J. Longpray's Sanctuary Story, Buying a Pistol and Rifle, Price Gouging at the Stores. It was time to find another mall. He headed to the major shopping center downtown. The jewelry shop, Precious Memories, was his first destination once he had parked and locked the Jeep. In an effort to prevent anyone from stealing the Jeep, Carrie attached a wheel boot to the front tire on the driver's side. It wasn't a real security device, but it did do the trick of discouraging someone from steal trying to steal his vehicle. That's it, Carrie said as the jeweler showed him a tray of promise rings. That one. It was a simple wand with a swirl of silver encompassing the base of black pearl. Now, do you have a necklace that matches it? Yes, of course. Just a moment. The clerk walked over to a different display case and pointed to a necklace that had three black pearls on a silver chain, with the center pearl being larger. Perfect. I'll take them. The clerk looked at him closely with surprise. They're expensive. Are you sure you can afford them? Carrie handed the clerk his father's card. Minutes later, with a tiny parcel tucked into his shirt pocket, he went in search of the drugstore to get the remaining items on his list. Just before he reached the door to the pharmacy, he passed by a sporting goods store. Curious and with time to spare, he entered to browse. Carrie loved sports stores. Maybe here he could find something useful and of value. The camping section drew his attention, however, there was nothing there that he wanted. As he passed a cabinet with sports watches, he stopped. There were GPS watches and chronographs with the logos of hockey teams. He had been eyeing a GPS watch for some time, 
but now knew that they would be useless for where he was going. However, a chronograph watch was something else. He knew exactly what he wanted, one with his favorite hockey team's logo. It would be useful and a memory of Earth, a positive memory. He wasn't finished in the store. He decided he needed to buy a less lethal gun for the journey back to the cabin. He found a twenty-two caliber rifle and pistol which would both be useful at the cabin and not likely to kill anyone should he find himself in tight circumstance on the way home, especially if he used birdshot shells. The salesperson showed Carrie the options for both pistol and long rifle. Carrie chose a box of short birdshot and long rifle birdshot shells as well as a dozen boxes of long rifle regular shells and one box of regular shells for the pistol. They could come in handy for whomever remained at the cabin. Then he made one last purchase, a jumbo thermos. He intended on filling it with coffee for the long drive back to the cabin. He took his purchases to the jeep as he couldn't carry them around the mall while doing the remainder of his shopping. He had replaced his regular watch with the new chronograph watch. Then he put the old watch into the glow compartment along with the pistol and its box of shells. As he put the rest of his purchases into the jeep, he noticed no one was paying him much attention. The lot was not nearly as busy as he had expected. Making sure that no one was watching, he loaded both the pistol and the long rifle with birdshot. He didn't want to be unprepared should he find himself in a precarious situation. Then he returned to get the last of the pharmacy list items. It was late in the afternoon when he found himself again in a food court. As he ate his pizza, he watched the news on the large screen. Scenes of riots from larger cities alternated between frantic reports of looting, shooting, and a breakdown of society. Body counts for the virus were noted on a scrolling bar at the bottom of the screen. The numbers were constantly changing. It was bad, very bad. No wonder so many were fleeing the city. The same scene appeared to be playing out all over the country and the continent. Thinking out his cell phone, Carrie brought up a map program. He wanted to avoid the insanity of the highways and began to plot out a route north using gravel roads or even lesser used dirt roads. The advantage of having a jeep with four-wheel drive meant that he could leave roads when necessary to get around trouble spots. Satisfied, he drained the last of his milkshake, bought another pizza, and filled the thermos he had purchased earlier. It was time to begin the journey home, despite the fact the sun would soon set. With the route he intended to take, there was no way he could make it to the cabin later that night. Driving down the grid road, passing by the golf course where he had frequently played with his father and a few classmates, Carrie found himself alone on the road. As he passed the occasional farmhouse, he saw that lights were on. Not everyone was in a rush to go to the countryside. Despite the fact that people were home, barricades were up, or gates were closed to discourage anyone from stopping. He had driven for a half an hour before the gravel road came to a junction. Consulting his hand-drawn map on a napkin, he turned left. He had only gone two kilometers when he saw a row of lights stopped on the road. It looked like an accident scene with the flashing lights of a police vehicle painting the surrounding trees with a blend of red and blue streaks. He decided to back up to an approach he had noticed moments earlier. Once he reached the approach, he slipped off the grid road to check the map app on the phone. With a sigh of relief, he noted the approach led to a dirt road which would skirt the accident scene and take him down a parallel gravel road. He was thankful he was still in cellular range for his phone in the app. He drove slowly down the dirt road, skirting around small lakes and sloughs. There were occasional fields indicating that this was cattle country rather than grain farming country. The trees were scrubby, a sign of poor soil conditions. 
his cautious driving was more about being on the lookout for deer, which might wander onto the trail. The last thing Carrie needed was to hit a deer. Finally, he emerged from the scrub forest onto a gravel road, which led to a smallish town. From there, he would take a secondary road, which would eventually take him closer to his destination. So that's all the stories in the poem I have for you this week. Um, I'm hoping that you liked everything. And I hope you get a good look at everything in the newsletter when I get it published here later today. Um, with that, I'll leave you go, and I'll talk to you again next week. Slantia. I want to take this time to ask for a donation of any amount to help me keep this podcast going, if you can. And to also explain how to find my website and what's inside when you arrive at the door. My podcast will remain free to subscribe to on all the major podcast apps, at Substack for the first month, and on my YouTube channel, Krana Biha. I have set up a donation link on Krana Biha Stories and Poetry at rss.com, and a donation is paid on my website at www.kranabiha.com, all using PayPal for your security. Think of it as me passing my hat around to you at the end of my visit each week. If you like this podcast, please share it with everyone you know in your social circles, as the writers I showcase in this podcast deserve all the exposure they can get. I created this podcast for them because I love to read their work, and I believe it should be shared with the world. Now I want to explain how to find my website. Since this show is audio only, just type in www.cranna-beatha.com in your browser and search for it. The website domain name is Gaelic and may be a little hard to find unless you know what you're looking for. Then bookmark it if you like it. I also have the RSS feeder enabled, so if you like my blog posts, you can be notified whenever I post something new. Search for www.crowdnabiha.com in your RSS feeder and set it up. Users finding the website for the first time will reach the welcome page to learn a little bit what's inside. There you'll see the homepage link at the bottom of the page. On the homepage, you can learn a little more about what Crown of Biha means for a little bit of Irish culture and a little bit more about me in general. On the menu bar at the top, there are links to all the pages in the website. The blog section where I post podcast newsletters, blog articles, stories and poems, and a drop-down podcast menu with links to both podcasts, a donations page, an ad page to purchase my published books, and a contact page in case someone cares to leave a message. Thank you for your patronage and support. Gora Mahagan, thank you for listening to the show today. I hope you enjoyed the variety of stories and poems again this week. Maybe one of them might touch your heart a little. Disclosure for everyone, in order to read the complete stories and poems, you will need to sign up for subscription in Medium. If I see a link by the author on one of the stories to allow everyone to read it, I will let you know in the newsletters. Please return again next week for another episode of Cron de Bia Stories and Poetry. This is Shona Kay. I want to continue to delight you with a story or poem that may bring you a smile or make you think a little bit after we part for the day. As I say goodbye this week, I wish to leave you with this Irish blessing as you go about your day. Long life and fair health to you. Salfada a ghost Goodbye for now.